In, in the book of Exodus chapter 35, let me catch you up to date to where we are. We're going to talk a little bit more about the era of Bezalel. We've been there the last three Sundays, and we talked about Bezalel in, in, in our first uh, message, and then the sequel to that was last week, Why Did God Use Bezalel? The first week we talked about the amazing way that God used him. The second week, why did God use him? Today, I want to talk about Bezalel and the people, those that God used with him, and, and what it was that God saw in them. So the people now have come together. God has requested that they build for him. He's commanded that they build for him a dwelling place. Now remember this. Remember the children of Israel at this time are a nomadic people. So they're not set in one place as we would think of them in Jerusalem. Remember when they do that, when they finally come into the land and possess the land and they're, they're situated uh, in, in Jerusalem there, God's going to have a temple built. And Solomon will dedicate that temple and the power of Almighty God, the Shekinah glory of God, will fill the temple of God and it will become very evident that that is indeed the place where God dwells. But now Israel, being a nomadic people, they travel in tents. And so God, living amongst his nomadic people, has built a tabernacle. God now comes down, so to speak, in his glory, and he indwells the Holy of Holies. He indwells that inner place within a tent, the tabernacle of God. And so in chapter 35, I wanna, I wanna, we're going to find a catalog, an enlistment of people. We'll talk about it in detail. But I want to jump from verse to verse and sort of catch up with where we want to be. We're going to find out the description of the people that were involved in building the tabernacle according to the specifications that God gave. Chapter 35 of Exodus, um, verse number 5. Well, verse 4. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, and oil for the light, and spices for anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, and onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. Now jump with me to verse number 21. And there came every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whose spirit made him willing. And they brought unto the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. Jump down with me to verse 25. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin. Verse 26. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. Verse 29, the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring all manner of work. Jump with me, if you will, uh, to verse 35. 
them hath he filled with wisdom of heart. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 36, every wise-hearted man. Verse 2, and Moses called Bezalel and Ahaliah, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And then in verse number 8, and every wise-hearted man among them that hath wrought the work, <coughs> excuse me, of the tabernacle. Father, help us. Help us, I would pray today. Open your word to us, and we thank you for every person that's here. We're grateful for your blessings and your hand upon our lives, and we pray that you would do for us, dear God, today what only you can do. We'll give you the glory and the praise, Lord, for every bit of it, for you alone are worthy. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In 1700, the British Navy consisted of 270 ships, and over the next 90 years, they would almost double that number. They were expanding. Their navy was on the grow. Their desire to dominate the seas is so evidenced by the fact that during the next 12 years, they almost doubled again to 950 ships in 1805. Now, it's one thing for a navy to have that many ships. It's another thing for them to be able to staff it, so to be able to man those ships, to have the people to run the different uh, responsibilities and jobs that it took to make a ship worthy at sea. And so the navy... The British Navy was consistently suffering from shortages of manpower. Part of that was due to very, very low pay and a lack of qualified men that were actually sailors that were able and had been trained to to do that work. And so during wartime, they were forced to uh, uh, force unwilling individuals into their service, and they were taken by groups of men that were sent out into the countryside known as press gangs. And so there would be guys there that were armed and and they were of the rougher sort of British society. And they would go out particularly in the areas of port towns and they would they would uh they would press these people, these innocent people into service for the king and force them onto ships where they would serve during it, particularly the, the uh, duration of the war, especially those that were near seaports. They lived in fear of the press gangs. They patrolled waterfronts. There's newspaper accounts of them raiding taverns and dragging men off from those. Sometimes they would kidnap men in their very beds. There's even reports from back in those days in the papers of how they would walk into a wedding and grab men. Even the groom dragged him off to sea, leaving a weeping bride there, perhaps with the wedding not even being confronted and the hysterical bride weeping as, as her groom was, was carted off. American vessels became the object of these British raids, and so... It became a problematic thing between the two uh, already, uh, you know, arch enemies at that time. Um, British ships would attack American vessels and would uh, 
kidnapped the men off of those vessels and forced them into British naval service. And in fact, more than 15,000 United States soldiers between 1793 and 1812 were, were conscripted to supplement the fleet during England's Napoleonic Wars with France. And so America was pretty well tired of it. In fact, by 1812, the United States government had had enough. And, and so on June the 18th, the United States declared war on Great Britain, known as the War of 1812. Some of that, not all of it, but part of the reason for that war was simply the fact that America was sick and tired of the press gangs and those that were forcing innocent American citizens to serve in the British Navy. Now, I said all that to say this. In the building of the tabernacle, you're going to find exactly the opposite. I think that's very important for us to note as we have read these scriptures and as you perhaps study them further at home. There is no conscripting. There's no, there's no drafting. During, during what we have read, you can find that there were no press gang tactics involved. In fact, there was but one short meeting, one very short meeting, where Moses just simply gathers the people, reads to them the commandments of God and what God has requested that they build. There were no resolutions. There were no great speeches. There were no exciting appeals. There was no eloquent speech that moved them into action. The cause itself, the building of a tabernacle for God, was all the eloquence that these people needed. God had forgiven them. And he had condescended to these people of low estate. And he desired to have a dwelling place amongst them. And so their gratitude for and their love for him did all of the rest. They were moved, if we could say it so, by their heart. Can I, can I just stop and interject the thought that it's extraordinarily sad when the people of God on this side of the cross, remember where they were, the cross, they were before, we are after. We understand the gruesome horrors of Calvary because we can look back upon the Savior and his, his, his sacrificial death for our sins upon that old rugged tree. We understand the power of the blood. And it's a sad thing when people must be motivated by incentives other than the very passion of their heart for the Lord. When, when, when we're moved more by promotions and dinners and giveaways than we are by our heart for God, I think that we cheapen everything we do for God. Now, I want to just tell you immediately, I come from the era of Christianity when things were, were all things promoted. Churches had the tallest man, the shortest man, the skinniest man, the ugliest man, if that was possible. I mean, I'm just simply, there was all sorts of things. We put on carnivals and festivals and 
we had all sorts, and there's nothing wrong with having some fun things for a church to do, but, but when it becomes, when the giveaway is the only thing that gets you to bring people to church, when it's, when it's just simply we're trying to do bigger and better and outdo ourselves, and, and the only way we can ever move people to do anything for God is by waving an incentive in front of their face. What does that say to us about our heart for God? And so there were no incentives. There were no, there were no promised rewards or plaques commemorating their labor. Nobody was going to put a brass tag with their name engraved on it if they were to donate or give so much. It was simply not wrapped up in ego. It was not wrapped up in incentives. God said, I want a house. I want a dwelling place that I can live amongst you. And their heart for God moved them to do exactly as God had asked them. Now, there are four descriptions in the passages of Scripture that we have read of the heart. And I want to I address each one of those. First of all, there was a willing heart. Now, that's the very beginning of everything. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter your skill set. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter what you can bring to the table. What can I contribute? I have something that I contribute. None of that matters if there's not first a willing heart. So what we have basically set in front of us as we read these chapters uh, from chapter 31 on over, what we have here basically is a catalog of contributions that were given toward the erection of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And over and over and over and over again, it emphasizes the purely spontaneous and voluntary nature of the gifts that were brought. Now, now, now I want you to think with me for a moment, okay? Remember where we are. Remember who we're dealing with. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the great lawgiver, Moses. And I want to remind you that the Ten Commandments were not ten suggestions. They were ten commandments. God commanded man, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. He specifically ordered how we were to live and what we were to do. And so it's very, very clear there, the, the things that were, that were given by God. And they were compulsory. So many of them were. They were mandatory contributions that were to be made. In the Old Testament system of worship, sacrifices and tithes and other things were imperative. This is what you're to do, and this is how you're to do it, but not the tabernacle. There, it, though other things were compulsory, the building of the tabernacle was constructed by means of undemanded offerings. Nobody said what you had to bring. A list of needs were given, but who met those needs? Whether those needs were even met was not designated and demanded upon people. It was left to the promptings 
of the worshiper's own heart toward God. And their hearts were willing. You know that sometimes we do what we do because it's expected of us, don't we? I mean, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we think that somebody expects me to do this or be this, and the job gets done, but the heart's not engaged. I, I did this because it was expected of me to do this, and yet my heart's never in it. Why? Because I'm just performing. I'm just being what I think other people expect me to be. Now, can I just say that, that there's nothing wrong with positive peer pressure, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. We ought to, iron, as iron sharpeneth iron, so iron, sharpeneth iron, so a, a, friend should, a man should sharpen the countenance of his friend. We, we ought to sharpen each other. We ought to press each other to do what's right. I ought to be accountable to you. You ought to be accountable to me. We ought to be accountable to each other. We ought to encourage each other to do right. Okay. If you're laying out in the middle of the road and cars are coming, I'm probably going to say, you need to get up or you're going to become tired out. That's the best I've got. I'm sorry. The next car retires you. Okay, anyhow, let's just let's leave that. My kids enjoy that very much. But anyhow, we'd ride past a roadkill on the way to vacation, and I'd use those very jokes. They're classics. But anyhow, um, I just, just sort of segued right into the message. But anyhow, the, the reality of, of, of the matter is, is simply this. Sometimes we are what we are solely because... Somebody expects us to be that. Sometimes we do what we do in an attempt to redefine our image. I know what I've done. I know where I was. And that's not who I want to be. So I want to remake me. I want to repackage me. I want to redefine me. I want to, I want to, I want to craft my image in such a manner that you will forget who I was because I don't like who I was. So I'm doing this. So that you will notice that I am a new person. Sometimes we do what we do out of habit. Now I want you to hear me. Good habits are good. That's why they're called good. But we can get so habitual in the things we do that we miss the heartbeat. We can do it because we're habitually used to doing it. And yet there's no heart. You can come to church because it's your habit to come to church, and I thank God that you've got good habits, and I'd rather you have a habit of coming to church than a habit of not coming to church, but the reality of the matter is you can have a habit of coming to church and never truly, really be here. You can sing the songs. You can shake hands on the way out. You can smile at people. And never... Really have your heart alive and tuned to what's going on in the house of God. What these people did that we've read about was a spontaneous surrender of precious things. Not because somebody demanded that they do that. Not because somebody expected them to do that. Not, not, not because they were trying to prove something. Simply because that's how their heart led them. I'm going to give because I want to give, because I love to give. 
And you know what they found out? They found out in the long run that, bless, that, that, that the blessing really does come from giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Alexander McLaren, I love, I love his, his writings. McLaren said this, he said, There are no pressed men in Christ, on board Christ's ships. None but volunteers make up his army. Such a great statement. There are no pressed men. He's not forcing anybody. In fact, the reality of the matter is simply this. Uh, as you read your Bible, you come under the understanding that, that, that we are to give out of a heart that is at first willing. That's the only way he accepts it from us. A cheerful giver, it's called in the New Testament. And so, if you read the Scripture, you'll find out that they got so much stuff brought in that it was piled in heaps. And they had to come and say to Moses, tell the people to stop. We not only have enough, we have more than enough. Not only enough, it's running over. We've got more than we could ever use. Did you know this? Did you know that, that, that the work of God, that the church of God, listen, that, that, there's, that, that there will never be a shortage in God's work? If we just obey him, everything the church is supposed to do, everything in the kingdom of God that must be done, God, God is great enough, God has enough. If God's people are just willing, we can accomplish and do anything that God would have us do. So there's a willing heart. First of all, step number one, if I'm going to do anything for God, I must at first have a heart that desires to do that thing for God. The desire always precedes the discipline and the discipline always precedes the delight there's desire there's discipline there's delight and in order for me to accomplish anything for God the first thing that has to come in my life is I have to have a heart I have to have a willing heart to serve the Lord second thing is a wise heart now when the Bible says they were wise hearted what does that mean now, we know, again, it's not talking about the blood pump. It's talking about that inner man. So when it's talking about a wise-hearted man, what's it talk? it's not talking about intellect. It's talking about somebody that's sitting there that's got a, a great amount of book knowledge. Can I just tell you this? The most useless people in all the world sometimes are people that know better. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, if you know the, after he had washed their feet, remember, in the Gospel of John, he said this to them, if you know these things, happy are ye. He doesn't end there. If you do them. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I mean, if you, if you know everything that's right and everything that should be, if you've got all the knowledge in all the world to do everything that's needed to do, and yet you never act upon that knowledge, it does no good whatsoever. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now, where did they get the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of how to get things done for God? Well, the Bible tells us exactly in the book of James where it comes from. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You need wisdom, God will give it to you. 
you need wisdom, God will give it to you. I cannot tell you the times in my early ministry when I was a young man before I had faced a lot of different situations and something would arise and I would have no idea what to do and I'd get on my face and I would literally quote this verse out loud and claim God's help and God's wisdom and how that God got me through things simply because I came to the source of wisdom who is God himself. Listen, we can't teach God anything. There's nothing that God ever needs to even learn about. God knows everything about everything. So when we need wisdom on how to deal with a situation, God exactly knows how we're to deal with the situation. So we must come to him if we lack wisdom. And James chapter 3 teaches us about what kind of wisdom it is. It says, for the wisdom that is from above is at first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He says this, I'm not talking to you about the wisdom you'll find in a library shelf or sitting in a university classroom where the professor has educated himself downward so much that he doesn't even believe in the existence of a holy God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And yet somebody stands up with a doctor's degree behind his name and he's actually teaching, he's teaching the history of the world and he doesn't even know that God created the earth. And they throw around billions of years. They just chunk it. See that, see that stalagmite right there in this cave? That's seven billion years old. Really? Man, you're an old guy. How, how, how long have you been hanging around to know how old that? It's ridiculous. Grown men that think that somehow we evolved from a lower form of life. And it's not really the monkey, it's the tadpole that came from the Big Bang. And what caused the Big Bang? Well, I don't know. Well, wait, no, it's a Big Bang. Something caused the Big Bang. What caused the Big Bang? I don't know. Well, why don't you just keep going in reverse and you'll bump into God somewhere back there because in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The reality of the matter is it's, it's not talking about that. We, 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 talk about, we talk about world history and we ignore the flood. It's the most catastrophic event in the history of the world. And yet we, I'm just simply saying, he said, that's not the kind of knowledge, that's not the kind of knowledge that I'm talking about. Now these were people who had a heart that was wise enough to give back to God what God had given them wise-hearted. I have been blessed by God. You know what God has done for you? You may not know what it is yet. Even God's gifted you. You have a gift. <laughs> you got a gift. Let's go backwards in time, okay? Johnson High School, Savannah, Georgia. It's Dean's turn to give a oral report. No, Dean don't want to give an oral report. I've got a better suggestion. Get a frozen garden hose and beat me with it. I'd rather have that than have to get up and speak publicly. But I, I have to get up and give a speech over some poem or something that I read. I hated that. But you know what I did not know? I did not know that God had in my future me talking all the time. Where some of you are saying, does this break? <laughs> can I tell you this? Can I just tell you, can I tell you that God has given you something? And you may not... It may not be. It may not be something. 
that is so much public. It may be just the gift of helps. That's a biblical gift where you encourage and help and love and, and lift and you're able, you're able almost on a more private scale to be to people the encouragement that they need. But he's gifted every one of us. Look, would you look, look at me in chapter 35. Let's, let's go to verse 21. Everybody, everybody, everybody look there, all right? Genesis, I mean, Exodus 35, look in verse 21. Watch this. Verse 21. And they came, every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whose spirit made him willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. Now watch this. Watch these verses. And they came both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and they brought bracelets, earrings, and rings, and tablets, all jewels of gold. Every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and red skins of rams, and badger skins, brought them. Everyone did offer an offering of silver and brass. They brought the Lord's offering. And every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of service brought it. Now watch verse 27. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. Because in that listing... In that catalog, there's a bunch of different stuff, okay? If I call Sean Ayers up here and say, Sean, I got two things to offer you today, but you only get to choose one, okay? Sean, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the largest chunk of gold ever excavated in the northwestern segment of the United States of America. Its, it's value is, has, has not yet been determined, but it's this incredible chunk of gold. Or I have for you here several layers of red-dyed badger skins. What do you think Sean might choose? Or perhaps you could trade the badger skins in for some goat hides. That would be nice. Do you want the gold, the red-dyed badger skins, or the goat hide? Sean's going to take the gold. You know why? Because in our eyes, it has more value than the badger skin. How many of you are actually into collecting badger skins? Okay, nobody here. All right, so, you know, they don't have this thing. Okay, you, you can, listen, if, if you're into, I had a friend send me something the other day and said, if you're interested in precious metals, you know, contact me. People collect precious metals. But, but, Scott, I don't know anybody that is, is having a website collecting badger skins because we put more value in the gold. But here's the deal. It, it's, it's the wealthy people. The rulers, they brought the onyx stones. The rulers, they, they were the, the stones to be set in the ephod. They're the ones that brought that. Why? Because they could afford it. Some people, all they could give was goat skins that would be placed over the tabernacle to keep the moisture out. But it was as valuable in the eyes of God as was the gold and the silver 
and the stones that other people brought. What are you saying? It's just, it does, it, what I'm saying is, we're not expected to give what we don't have. We're expected to give only the things that God has blessed us with. We give in return to him, and they were wise enough to give that. And from gold and silver down to brass and badger skins, nothing was too good or rich. Nothing was too poor or insignificant. Everybody's gift is needed, and everybody has a place that was equally as necessary. From the stones of the ephod to the coarse goat skin that was flung over the roof to keep the moisture out, it was all consecrated equally, it was all precious equally, it was all given with the same spirit. You remember the you remember the story of 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 the widow who gave her might and and it it, it says Jesus looked and he said these they're given a lot and there was nothing wrong with what they were giving he's not belittling them but what determined what he said was what was left over they've given a lot but they still have a lot what she gave, she has nothing left. They used to say in football, leave it all on the field. Don't bring anything back to the locker room with you. When you come back to this locker room after this game, you make sure that every single thing you have is left on that field. In other words, give it, give it your all. But she, Jesus said, of her penury, hath cast in all the living that she had. McLaren said this. Let me read this. I want you to think now. I want you to let this soak in for a minute. Then we're going to go to another point. I want you to let this soak in for a moment. I want you to think about this. He who gives much, he, let me say it again. Start over. He gives much who gives all, though his all be little. He gives little who gives part, though his part be much. See, Jesus knows what we have and what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody who has a willing heart and a heart wise enough to give back to him. What's God blessed you with? Use it for God's glory. Third thing is a ready heart. Now, if you read that, phrase where it says their heart stirred them up if you'll if you'll study that it it literally means to lift or to raise up so if i if my heart stirs me up what that is teaching me is that i can't remain seated if 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 if, if what god has requested stirs me i can't be idle i i i can't be sedentary i i i have to get up why do you got to get up? Because I, 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 got to, I can't just sit here. There's a need. God's presented to me what he wants for me. So I can't just sit down in my Christian life. I've got to get up. It lifts me. It stirs me. It moves me. It raises me up and puts me in action. It makes me active in the work of God. And so everybody whose heart stirred them up, they, 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 they gave the raw material. Some did, and others worked with what they brought. 
I, I, I like the reality that before we give anything, we must first give ourselves. It said of the churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own self unto the Lord and unto us by the will of God. I think of some of the women here, as we read through the Scripture, they didn't have a lot to give, but you know what it said they did? They, they spun. They took the goat's hair and, and the badger skin, and they, they, they used their ability to to um, to uh, sew, and they made garments and coverings. They had no jewels to bring, but they had ten fingers on their hand. And so they could take the ten fingers on their hand and use it to make the things that God had required in the tabernacle. Some... Some undertook the rougher of the jobs of spinning the coarse black goat's hair that was to be made for that heavy, very heavy covering of the roof of the tabernacle. It wasn't easy. And then finally, at the end of everything that had been brought, guess who's mentioned? The rulers. Why last? Not because they were last in God's eyes, but God is inverting how we look at, we would say, dude, did you see the stones that they brought? My word. We'd put all the emphasis on wealth. God puts all the emphasis on willingness. And God is teaching us, God is teaching us that the person that spun the coarse goat's hair was as important as the person who brought and the person who set the stones in the ephod. In the eyes of Almighty God. My friend that visited us last Sunday, Grant Goodbread, dear friend from the Brunswick area. I've known his family for years. He stood over here last Sunday with arms folded, and he looked out across this gym. And I just walked up to him for small talk, and he looked at me and he said, amazing. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, the teamwork. He said, I'm, I'm just so absolutely amazed every time I come to this church and I watch the way everybody works together to get the job done. And then he looked at me and he said, I hope you know that you have a very unusual church. Now, we think it's normal because we've done it for 15 years. I pray we never wake up and realize it's not. Because the folding of a mat, the folding of a table, the putting up of chairs, the, the stacking of these chairs... The, the taking down of what we have set up today, the setting up on Saturday, did you know that is as notable and as noble in the eyes of God as what I am doing here today? What if you came this morning, there were no chairs set out, no mats down, and I'm just standing up here, you're like, dude, where do we sit? Well, sit on the floor. 
That wouldn't be very nice, especially for some of you that couldn't get up. You know, the older we get, the more while we're down there, we have to figure out, is there something else I need to do while I'm here? Okay? We'd have to have the EMS to come in to get people up. And, 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 and so the, the realization is everything that we do goes into making what we have here. I just pray we never lose that. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And when God gives us our own building, we can't lose that spirit of pioneering. We have to connect in other ways. We can't just drop it and let it go and hit cruise control. So whatever we have, let's bring that. And whoever we are, let's bring that. And let's have our hearts so stirred. Remember remember when Mary came in and she anointed Jesus with, with the alabaster box. And Jesus said of her, you know, she was criticized. Why, well, you should have gave that to the poor. Jesus said, no, you'll have them with you always. And it's, he said to them, let her alone. Those were his words. Let her alone. Why? Because she hath done what she could. Don't ever forget that statement. She hath done what she could. I wonder if that could be said of us. I want you to think. Can that be said of us? Have we done what we could? Or could we have done more? Have we, have we done our best? Or could we have done better? For the Master. I pray that it would be said of you and I, he or she, have done what they could. The last group, and I close quickly, is those with an unwilling heart. Pastor, I didn't read that. I saw willing. I saw wise-hearted there. I even read about the people whose hearts stirred them up, those of a ready heart. But I didn't read about those that were unwilling. You know why? Because they weren't there. Why did he say those of, an, those of a willing heart came, those of a wise heart came, those whose heart stirred them up came? Because they were set apart from the others whose heart was not willing. If you look in chapter 39, when you get home, you're going to read this phrase, they made, they made, they wrought, they made, I underline each one of those in yellow, they made 14 times in chapter 39 in describing what was accomplished in the tabernacle. It says they 14 times. Well, who are they? Doesn't give a name. You know why? Because this is, this is his work. This is, this is not spotlight work. This is not... This is not done for praise. We're not building an edifice so that somebody might remember our name. This is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's they. It's the wise-hearted. It's the willing-hearted. It's the ready-hearted. But our text implies that some were unwilling. They were not a part of those that served. They were absent while others worked. Maybe they were selfish. Maybe they thought their property was theirs. Why should I bring these stones? Why should I, why should I slay the, 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 the uh, goats? Why, why should I bring, why should I do that? Why should I, it it's not, doesn't matter. But there's enough people giving that they won't miss what I don't give. I think I'll just coast 
and enjoy the work of everybody else. I think I'll just ride this one out. My gift won't really make a difference. I'm content to let others share, carry my share of the load. Or maybe they were just simply jealous that they would not receive the recognition of having their name called and their name remembered. I don't know what the reason was. All I know is this. They missed it. They missed the blessings of cheerful giving. They did not experience the fulfillment of having done for God what God had called them to do and the accomplishment was not theirs to share. Now I want to close, but I want to remind you of this. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't sit up in the stands and watch everybody else serve and everybody else work and everybody else get the job done. We're not spectators. We're on the field. Look at me. We're on the field. There will be a day when this pulpit will not be filled by me because I will have vacated the field and God will have called me home at the ripe age of 110. It's prophecy. No. This is our time. This is our field. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. Whatever mark you're going to make, whoever you're going to reach, whatever you're going to do for God, however you're going to serve Him, this is our time. My pastor's gone. The men that I traveled as a young man from state to state sometimes to sit and listen to them give the Word of God, those guys, they're all in heaven now. They wrote the books. They wrote the commentaries. They led the meetings. They're gone. This is our time. And we have to do our best if we're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. A willing heart. A wise heart. And a heart who stirs us up to do what we're supposed to do for His glory. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to remind you that we're going to give an account to the Lord one day. We're going to stand before God and give an account. faithful this is no time to quit no time to grow weary and well doing because he's promised 
we'll reap in due season if we faint not. It's no time to faint. No time to drop out. No time to go on vacation from God. This is the time to give it our all. This is our time. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you'll let us take a Bible and show you how you can know that before you leave here today. Our Father, we thank you for the joy of serving you. The fact that that you have a place of service for each one of us and, and, and that you have gifted us to some degree. Whatever that degree is, you've gifted us. Even if it's just to give a cup of cold water in your name, you'll bless it. Oh God, help us not to miss the blessings, to get so wrapped up in the self-life that we miss the joy of a willing heart, a wise heart, a heart stirred up to bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen.